Hello, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 69 of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and here we are with just five games remaining in the regular season. The New York Rangers, once again, at least at the time of this recording, are pulled into a tie with the Carolina Hurricanes atop the Metro Division. It's shaping up to be a race, folks. This is closer than I think a lot of us thought that it would be. The Rangers are on the verge of clinching home ice in the first round. I I believe if the Capitals and Penguins each lose one more game or if the Rangers win one more game, some combination of those things, they'll clinch home ice. So it certainly looks like game one and game two of the first round series for the Rangers will be played at Madison Square Garden. Who the opponent will be is to be determined. And whether or not the Rangers finish in first or second place in the Metro Division is still very much to be determined. They have five games remaining. The Hurricanes, at the time of this recording on Wednesday afternoon, also have five games remaining. They'll play each other at MSG on Tuesday, which obviously could have some very serious effects on what ends up happening, what the outcome of this race is going to be. We've discussed at length the merits of finishing first versus second before, so I'm not going to dive too deep into that. But the Rangers folks are playing really, really well and have certainly earned this opportunity to possibly finish first in the division. Just look at these last three games. They've gone over 180 minutes now without allowing a goal. Three straight shutouts. The first from Alexander Georgiev in Philadelphia last week, followed by back-to-back shutouts from Igor Shosturkin, both at Madison Square Garden, first win against the Detroit Red Wings on Saturday, and then the shutout win over the Winnipeg Jets on Tuesday night. The biggest positive to come out of that for sure is Igor. Igor looks back to being the guy that we saw earlier this season. He is once again looking like that unbeatable best goalie in the world self that a lot of people got used to for the first four or five months of the season. And that is a huge, huge thing for the Rangers with the playoffs so close. The key we talked about at length was getting him back in his groove, back in his rhythm before the playoffs, whether that meant he needed more work, less work, some kind of balance in between. It looks like the Rangers have found the right balance because Igor has gotten quite a few starts in the last few weeks, but Georgiev has definitely been mixed in there a fair amount. So I think Igor has been playing, at least in my estimation, it looks like a perfect amount of games because it's worked. What you're seeing right now is a really good sign. Back-to-back shutouts. I didn't think he had to work especially hard in that game against Detroit on Saturday. The Rangers pretty much dominated that game. But he did face over 30 shots against the Jets on Tuesday night. And especially in some key spots when the Rangers were only winning by one goal, he came up big, including a save on former Ranger Morgan Barron at the end of the second period. So really encouraging sign for the Rangers to see Igor. Now, in these five remaining games... I think you're going to see Igor play at least two, maybe three. I think Alexander Georgiev, my hunch is he'll be the guy on Thursday night against the Islanders at the new UBS arena, which will then leave four games remaining. And I could see them going two and two in those final four games. But if Igor comes to Gerard Gallant and says, 
I think I need three to feel as sharp as possible going into the playoffs. I highly doubt the coach would object to that. I think they will give Igor some say in how much he plays, but at most it'll be three of these final five games. They're definitely going to give Georgiev a couple more starts and make sure that Igor is feeling fresh when the playoffs begin. The rest of the news going on involving the Rangers recently, the number one thing that that I guess we have to bring up, although it feels like a topic we've already addressed, even though we haven't with this latest injury, and that's Capo Caco, who came out of the game on Saturday against the Red Wings with a, they're calling it a lower body injury, but anybody who watched saw it definitely looked like a right leg injury. Now, the replay didn't look good. It definitely looked like the leg bent awkwardly, and you have to have some concerns about the severity of it just based on what you saw. But based on what we've heard from the Rangers since then, specifically what Gerard Gallant said on Monday at practice, it does sound like Kako dodged a bullet as far as ACL or anything that might keep him out long term. I've heard this from a couple different people now. There's no serious injury here as far as something that might require surgery or something that the Rangers think would rule him out for the rest of the season. I understand the skepticism. I wrote about this on Monday. We've heard the Rangers with Kako in particular, the last time that he got injured right before the All-Star break, say, oh, it's day-to-day, and then it ended up being 31 games that he missed. So trust me, I'm with you. I'm not necessarily making any guarantees that he's going to be ready for game one of the playoffs, but Gerard Gallant was very adamant the other day saying he's hopeful that he'll be able to get a game or two before the regular season ends, but at the very least, he said he would be, quote, disappointed if Kako wasn't back for game one. He he made it very clear to us that he's anticipating Kako will be ready for game one of the playoffs. We're going to wait and see how it plays out, but in the meantime... With Kako out of the lineup, it's not an unfamiliar situation for the Rangers. that They played like this for a long stretch already, basically half of the season. And the lineup otherwise really looks set. I was actually talking to a couple of people about this today at practice. You look at the way that the lines are constructed right now with that top line of Vitrano, Zabanajad, and Kreider The quote-unquote second line, although I thought Gerard Gallant made a really good point the other day when he said... He basically looks at, he has two top six lines and two bottom six lines. He doesn't label them one through four. He has a top two and a bottom two. And and I think that's very much the case when you look at that Strom, Panarin, Cop line right now, who are playing really well. I thought they were probably the Rangers' best line against the Jets on Tuesday night. Then the third line, last week we were talking a lot about you basically had four guys for three spots. Well, with Kako out, you now have three guys. So there's no doubt about who's going to play there. It's going to be Lafreniere on the left wing, Heedle in the middle, Goudreau on the right wing, with Goudreau taking a lot of the key face-offs, which I think is very helpful for that line. And the fourth line, given the injury to Tyler Mott, has kind of settled now with Dryden Hunt, Kevin Rooney, and Ryan Reeves. That's not quite as potent of a fourth line as we were talking about A few weeks ago when we were thinking it might have Mott, Goudreau, and maybe Reeves or Hunter Rooney. But it's still a pretty good fourth line and I think still accomplishes a lot of the things that Gerard Gallant wants out of that line. You've got a little speed with Hunt. You've got the toughness 
and the veteran stability with Ryan Reeves. And then you've got a guy in Kevin Rooney who the Rangers really trust in a lot of different situations. So that line, those lines, I think you're going to see them stick together for the remainder of this season, unless Gallant picks a spot for a guy to get some rest here or there. But otherwise, I think that's pretty much set right now. And you could say the same with the D pairs. We know about the top four, Fox, Lindgren, Miller, Truba. But to me, even right now, when you look at that bottom pair, it's pretty clear which way Gallant is leaning. Schneider has been in the lineup consistently. And Nemeth, he left the team for a couple days for personal reasons. But other than that, he's more often than not been Gallant's choice over Justin Braun. So my expectation right now is that Nemeth would be the guy if the playoffs started today. I do think there's a pretty good chance you'll see Braun in there some point in these next five games, whether it's in place of Nemeth or whether it's to give a guy like Fox or Lindgren a breather. But the the lineup is pretty much set at this point, folks. This is the playoff team you're looking at, and I'm curious to hear how you guys feel about that lineup going to battle once the playoffs begin on May 2nd, although it sounds like There are whispers I'm hearing that the Rangers might end up being a May 3rd game. Nothing official yet, so we'll wait and see on that. But game one will be either May 2nd or May 3rd. You can pretty much take that to the bank. Now, the most interesting thing I thought to come out of practice today on Wednesday was a conversation that we had with Artemi Panarin. I just wrote about this at length. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this column, so I hope you guys will go check it out at loha.com slash sports slash rangers. But this is these are my favorite times to talk to Panarin. Uh, you guys, some people have submitted questions before where you ask about personalities in the locker room and which guys are the best for questions and give you the best quotes or, or that sort of thing. Panarin, to me, is just, he's become such an easy guy to talk to. He's such a lighthearted, fun-loving guy, doesn't take himself too seriously, always good for a laugh. So we definitely have a lot of fun. At least I can say I have a lot of fun in in my interactions with him. He's always looking for for some way to try to get you going and making fun of teammates, but also making fun of himself quite a bit as well and making fun of reporters and, and joking about whatever. you guys. I think I talked on a previous episode earlier in the season about him having some fun with me about my hair and what kind of products I use and all that sort of stuff. But also what struck me a lot about this conversation today was his understanding, his level of understanding about his own game and what makes him successful and then how that needs to translate to the playoffs. And what I found most interesting about this conversation was he talked about earlier this season. And I think a lot of us who were watching felt like, listen, the points are there. This guy is still racking up, especially a lot of assists, but he didn't quite look as dynamic as we had come to expect to him, especially what we saw from him in his first season with the Rangers when he was a Hart Trophy finalist. But recently, for me, it's been like the last month or two, You watch this guy play and and your jaw drops pretty much every night. He has been incredibly dynamic with the puck. He looks like he's all over the ice. He's holding it. He looks confident. He, He finds teammates in all kinds of spots. He sees passes that I feel like nobody else in the arena sees. He has a great shot when he wants to use it. But but the bread and butter, no pun intended, of his game 
is his playmaking ability and just the uniqueness that he has, the way he's able to deke defenders and hold the puck and and just glide all over the ice with it and sort of wait for a play to develop. It's like he has such great timing with his passes and such great timing as far as picking his spots. You know, he makes mistakes, and he talked about that today. You have to take risks sometimes, and and once in a while that's going to bite you. But it sounds like the conclusion that he came to, especially this year, with Gerard Gallant coming into the fold, we've talked about the type of system that Gallant likes to play. And Gallant wants you north-south. He wants you playing straight ahead. He wants you being physical, crashing the net, getting to those high danger areas, battling for loose pucks, but very much simple, up and down the ice. Now, that's benefited, I believe, the Rangers as a whole, and it's benefited a lot of individual players who play best when they simplify their game in that way. But Panarin does not fit into that category. He is his own animal. He is a unique beast, a special talent. And he talked about earlier in the season, I tried to stay in the left wing. I tried to stay in my lane. I tried to drive to the net and play without the puck. But he said he didn't feel as confident. He is at his utmost confidence when he has the puck on his stick, when he's able to use his natural gifts, the things that he does as well as or just about as good as pretty much anybody on the planet, he needs to stick to that. He needs to stick to the principles of his game. He needs to stick to his strengths. And what he said he's really done in the last month or two, he didn't give a specific timeline, but I'm based on my own observations, I, I think it's really been apparent in the last month or two, is play more freely. Play, he said, I have to be everywhere. I have to have the puck on my stick. And that is when he is at his best. I think that has really opened up things for the Rangers offense. And as we look ahead to the playoffs, and everybody talks about the ice gets smaller, there's less time and space, people are on top of you, it's a more physical game, the intensity is ramped up. Those things are all true. But that doesn't mean that Panarin should all of a sudden change his game to try to fit that mold. He still needs to do the things that make him special. And if the Rangers are going to have a chance of going on a run, there's a handful of things that need to continue. Igor needs to keep playing like one of the best goalies in the world. The defense, which we haven't even touched on, but that's something that I think really needs to be harped on with this team recently is how much they've improved as far as the shot totals that they're allowing. Prior to that game against Winnipeg, they had gone 12 consecutive games without allowing more than 30 shots in a game. And then even against Winnipeg, they only allow 31. So they're really suppressing shots at a much better rate than they were earlier this season. And especially, they've cut down on their turnovers. They've cut down on their breakdowns in the D zone. They just seem to be playing a more cohesive five-man unit game. And they're not allowing those dangerous chances from the slot and from the net front nearly as often as they were earlier in the season. So they need to maintain this level of defensive play that we've seen them turn the page to in recent weeks. But I also believe that you need your stars to be stars. And Panarin is at the top of that list. And the Rangers need him to do what he does best in the playoffs. They don't need him to all of a sudden turn into a north-south, drive-the-net kind of player. They need him to do all those things that make all of us enjoy watching him. And I think coming away from that conversation, that was the thing that was foremost in my mind today is this guy knows that he can't change his game. 
He needs to stick to his strengths. He needs to stick to what makes him so good. And I'm curious to see if he can do it. Because if he can, if he has a, a big playoff run, well, that all of a sudden pushes him. He's in the conversation as one of the, let's say, 10 or 12 best players in the game right now. But I think a, a strong playoff run moves him even higher into that upper echelon of NHL players. And, and he's aware of that. You know, trust me, this is a this is a guy who, you know, the language barrier can make people think that maybe he's not as in tune with things as he really is. But he's a deep thinker. He's a smart dude. His English is better than he probably leads you to believe. And that that's one of the, the things I enjoy about a day like today where there's no cameras around and, and we can have a conversation in English and, and you feel like you get to know him better that way. But I, I just was I want to talk about that a little bit on the show because I, I thought it was a it was a it was a cool day from that aspect because you don't get to do that all the time, especially now in the days of no locker room access. But he came out to chat today and it was a very insightful conversation in my estimation. So definitely go check out that story if you get a chance. It also got me thinking about something else that I have to do by the end of the week. And I thought I'd throw it out there to maybe get some opinions if you guys want to shoot me an email. Or, or hit me up on Twitter or whatever it might be. But that is that by the end of this week, all of the beat reporters who cover the team have been asked to submit our top three for team MVP. So been thinking about this a lot the last couple of days. I'm going to wait until after the Islander game to, to submit it. They want it by the end of the week. But I think the choice at number one is pretty clear. Igor carried this team for long stretches in this season. He's probably going to win the Vesna. I'm mean, definitely going to win the Vesna. I think is fair to say at this point. So to me, he's my number one. But after Igor, who do you put? You obviously have to include Panarin in that conversation. You obviously have to include Zabanajad in that conversation. Adam Fox. But the more I think about it, I'm leaning right now toward putting Chris Kreider at number two. Obviously, the 50 goals have a lot to do with that. I feel like we have to find ways to give this guy credit for the breakout season that he's had. He's doing something that he never even came close to doing in the past, and he has by far been the most consistent source of at least goal scoring for the Rangers this season. But I also think that his overall impact on the team from a leadership standpoint, from an all-aspects-of-the-game standpoint – power play. This year you see him making a huge impact on the penalty kill. I feel like even on the nights when he isn't scoring, he's been a more noticeable player for the Rangers than maybe in the past. Definitely more consistent than he has been in the past. So I'm leaning towards Kreider in my number two spot right now. And then I think Panarin has to be three. I'm kind of going back and forth between Panarin at two, Kreider at three, or Kreider at two, Panarin at three. But that's where I'm leaning right now. Panarin you guys know my belief is that when everybody is going right, he is their best overall skater. He is their most dynamic player. But it's just crazy to think because I also think that Mika has had an outstanding season. And then Adam Fox, reigning Norris Trophy winner, all the accolades to not include him in the top three also feels kind of wrong to me too. But I think that's where I'm leaning with my top three. And I'm curious to hear you guys and your opinions on how you might rank them if if you were doing the exercise, which you, you can do the exercise. You can go ahead and, and contact me and let me know what you think. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. With that, we are going to move on. And I, I didn't mention this uh, at the beginning of the program because I was kind of jazzed up to talk to you guys. And because 
quite frankly, have had a lot going on today. But because this is such a busy time and a busy week, I really didn't put all that much effort, if I'm being honest, into booking a guest for this week. I think I do have somebody lined up for next week. We're going to do like a big playoff preview, and, and I'm pretty excited for that. But this week, I thought, let's just dive into some mailbag questions. I've been getting asked about all kinds of topics all week. We have a lot of playoff anticipation right now. So we're going to go ahead and transition into the final segment of the show straight from here. And it's just going to be me pretty much blind going through all the Twitter questions that were submitted in the last day and and rattling off some answers and seeing if we can have some fun with it. Okay, let's jump right in. And we're going to do the thing where I haven't looked at any of them in advance and just scroll and see what happens. First one comes from Eddie Nathan. And as I'm scrolling down a little further, it looks like a couple other people asked about this as well. So I guess it's a good place to start. Eddie wrote, so when Kaka returns, does Laugh go to the fourth line or do they give the quote kid line a shot for a game or two? Eddie, that is probably the only lineup question that lingers. I guess the bottom pair thing is a little bit of a lingering question, but I talked about that in the beginning. I'm not too convinced that there's much controversy there, at least at this point. So Kako's return and what that means for the lineup is by far the number one thing that people like you and me and everyone else is going to be wondering about until we see how the Rangers play it. Could they put Lafreniere back on the fourth line? I didn't think they would do it in the first place, so I guess I can't completely rule it out now. I think a lot of it depends on what do we see from this current lineup minus Kako in these next however many games until Kako comes back. And my other question would be, let's say Kako doesn't get any more regular season games in. Would the Rangers throw him right into the playoff fire, especially if they're still rattling off wins and playing really well and they feel good about the line combinations the way they are? Maybe they would hold off, let him get some practice time, make sure he's 100% healthy, and then if they feel like they need a spark or they feel like somebody is struggling, you have an option that you can go to. I don't know. They might want to get him right back in. We did see him score two goals in Philadelphia. So obviously they, he was feeling pretty good and they were feeling pretty good about the way that he was trending at the time of this most recent injury. But the kid line we've talked about before, I'm very, very skeptical about them actually using that in a playoff game. And we still haven't even seen them use it in a regular season game this year. I have asked around a little bit about it recently, and I think there's a several others, let's say, who share my skepticism. So I don't know if the kid line is going to be a thing. They could try it, and then we all know that Gaudreau easily slots down on the fourth line, and maybe you bump a guy like Ryan Reeves out of the lineup. So it's a possibility, but there's really no great answer for what you do with that third line in the event that Kako comes back. Right now, you want to see how Lafreniere, Heedle, and Gaudreau do. But also, we know that Heedle, Kako, and Gaudreau looked pretty good for the couple of games that they had together, especially that game in Philly. So, I don't know. I think that will be a really difficult decision for Gerard Gallant when the time comes. I can't sit here and tell you that I think I have the absolute right answer. 
I've told you guys in the past that I would consider moving Cop down to the third line and putting Kako on the second. But with Kako coming off another injury, knowing how many minutes that second line is asked to chew up, I don't know if you can throw him right into the fire like that. So I feel less confident about that too. Ooh, really tough call it's going to be. Right now you feel like all the pieces fit exactly where they're supposed to be, but you add one more into that puzzle and all of a sudden it's like, crowded and you're unsure and everything has a ripple effect one move affects another guy and yeah I I I don't know I I really don't know what the right answer would be maybe they try the kid line for a game maybe they put Lafreniere back on the fourth line or maybe they just say to Kako listen we're rolling pretty good right now stay ready get your practice time in and we'll plug you in as needed that that could ultimately end up being the solution as well All right, let's keep going down. X Alex, also at True True Train, wrote, who do you view as an underdog on the team in terms of how they'll perform in the playoffs? Ooh, that's a good one. Can we count Keandre Miller as an underdog? I feel like we've talked about him a lot recently, but he's obviously not one of the stars, and he's a guy who I feel like has been really good for the Rangers, increasingly so in the last couple months. Jacob Truba the other day had a really good line at practice where he said, uh, that's a good stock. I buy that stock right now because it's on its way up when talking about Miller. So Miller is a guy who comes to mind for me. Truba too. I think Truba is going to be a guy who is absolutely built for the playoffs. I was talking to somebody about this earlier today just how how much more comfortable and confident he seems and how he's become such a tone setter for this team as both a vocal presence in the locker room and then as a physical presence on the ice. And I think if the Rangers are going to hold up against some of the tougher opponents, he's a guy who I think is going to be a really important cog for the Rangers and I think is is well-suited to that playoff style that we talked about where everything gets tighter and where the ice gets smaller and the physicality ramps up. So Troop is a guy who comes to mind. And then as far as the forwards, Andrew Kopp, I think is a guy who I feel like because he has playoff experience and because of the versatility of his game and because we've seen the offense trending up, He feels like a guy to me who I could see scoring a big goal late in a tie game, that sort of thing. I think Kopp is going to be a really important player for the Rangers in the playoffs. Won't have as much attention as Panarin, Zabanajad, and Kreider, but I think could be a really pivotal piece for the Rangers. And he's a big dude, a strong dude. I think he'll hold up well in a lot of these playoff games. So Kopp is another guy that comes to mind too. And then I'll throw one more out there, Lafreniere. The guy's taken criticism up and down, especially this season, because there's been stretches where he hasn't produced as much as many people expect out of, an, out of a number one overall pick. But he always seems to respond to adversity. And he just has this even keel demeanor where no matter what's going on around him, no matter where they put him in the lineup, he just always seems to say and do the right things. He responds as we saw him do in that game against the Red Wings where he was demoted to the fourth line and then he ends up scoring two goals. So he's the type of guy who I wouldn't be surprised if he steps up in the playoffs. He looks like he has it in him to maybe be one of those clutch kind of players. So I guess the last one I'll say is Lafreniere. 
All right. Keep scrolling here. Ian Weinberger wants to know, what are your thoughts on how the team creates cap space in the offseason? Is, tra- is it a trade of someone like Lindgren, Blay, or Nemeth? There doesn't seem to be too many other options. Ian, you're, you're definitely right on with that. There are not a lot of options. Nemeth, I think, is at the top of the list of guys that maybe they would look to move to shave a little bit of salary. But as I've told you guys before, trading Nemeth doesn't mean you save $2.5 million, which is his salary for next season. It's really only like saving $1.5 million because you then have to replace him with another defenseman. And even if that defenseman is an entry-level contract guy, they're still going to be making close to a $1 million. So you take his 2 you subtract the million from the guy you replace him with, and you're really only saving about one and a half. So I think the team will look for little ways like that to maybe shave if they can, but their big money guys aren't going anywhere. So I don't see a move out there that all of a sudden opens up a ton of cap space. We've talked before about that $11.7 million number to fill minimum of four, maximum of seven spots on the roster. Maybe with a savvy move or two, they could stretch that 11.7 to 13 or so, but you're still pretty tight and it's going to force them to make some tough decisions, which is why they're going for it now, because now is the time they have the cap space. There might not be another season where they can afford to bring in four guys at the deadline. They can do it now, and that's why I think a lot of people in that building are motivated to make this run count and push it as far as it can go. All right, let's keep scrolling here. Nick Gonbarian, I hope I pronounced that right, Nick. Sorry if I did not. Also at Nick Bayside, wants to know if there's any Selkie chatter for Zabanajad. I know he won't win, but is he on anyone's radar for some votes? Well, one of our favorite statisticians... From the Rangers, Mike Rappaport, going to give him a little shout out right now, actually hit me with this stat. He told me not to credit him, but I'm giving him the credit anyway. He hit me with this stat at practice today, and it's it's a pretty good one. I know people don't like plus minus, but you can get over that. I think it's just a larger part of the stat here. And that is that Mika is one of only three centers in the league right now who has scored 75 or more points this season, has a plus 30 rating or better, and has won 52% or more of his face-offs. The other, Alexander Barkov from the Florida Panthers, who won the Selkie last season, got my vote. And the second one is Elias Lindholm from the Calgary Flames, who is getting a lot of chatter as the Selkie front-runner this season. So Lindholm and Barkov and Zabanajad are the three, which... Tells you a lot about how well-rounded Mika has been this season. Now, I I was actually one day at the practice rink having this conversation with, I won't say exactly who, but one of the Rangers broadcasters about how good is Mika Zibanejad really defensively. I think when you look at the numbers, some people will say, oh, well, he doesn't rate up there as far as expected goals against as well as a guy like Barkov and some of the other top forwards in the league. And listen... That is true, but I don't think that tells the entire whole story. I don't think he's on the level of a Barkov or some of these other top defensive forwards in the league. Like He's definitely not a Patrice Bergeron 
or anyone like that. Bergeron's a guy who I think needs to be mentioned in the Selkie conversation as he is every year as well. But I do think that Mika has this ability to create turnovers, create positive rush opportunities for the Rangers. He hunts pucks. He's always playing as hard as he possibly can. His skating is so smooth and effortless that it creates this perception that maybe he's not working that hard. But this dude works incredibly hard in all three zones, hustles his butt off. I can tell you for sure Gerard Gallant loves the effort that he puts out there every single night. And I think that plays into it. It's it's not so much that he is going to be this physical presence or this shutdown guy in the D zone, but he works his butt off all around and he does great work with his stick. You see him create a lot of turnovers. You see him be really pesky in a lot of situations. And that's why I do think that even though some people will point to the numbers and say he's average or maybe slightly below average defensively, I look at him as an above average uh, defender. I don't think he is an elite defender. I certainly don't think he's a guy that I'm going to give a a top three Selkie vote to or anything like that. But I do think that people who just look at the numbers and dismiss him are doing a disservice because I, I believe that Mika is certainly one of the better defensive forwards for the Rangers. All right, let's get to another question here. Do we have... This one comes from Hank Perlman, who wrote, Hi, Vince. Do you think there is any weirdness or tension between Ryan Strom and Andrew Kopp because they're competing for a place on the team next year? Well, one more quick teaser, because I know I teased this last week. My story on the whole center situation looking forward will be coming out on Monday morning next week. So there's my little tease on that. So we'll dive into more of the specifics of Kopp and Strom and other options and all that stuff once that story comes out. But as far as tension between those two guys, honestly, I don't sense it. Now, you know I'm not in the locker room, so I guess I'd have a little bit of a better feel to give you a definitive answer if I was. But both of those guys don't strike me as the type of people who are looking over their shoulder. And and the whole team is just so focused on the task at hand right now, and the playoffs are the clear goal for everybody I don't sense any distractions like that at all with this team. It's a business. I think everybody knows that contract stuff is dealt with after the season. And I'm sure some players have certain things in the back of their mind. I'm sure Cop wants to make a good impression on the Rangers. I'm sure Strom is somewhat curious about what his future will hold. But I don't think it's a situation where they're looking at each other as adversaries or or there's any tension or infighting or anything like that at all. Certainly haven't heard anything like that. Certainly haven't seen anything like that, nor have I seen any signs of that. So no, I, I don't think that's a thing at all. These guys are professionals. They know the deal. They know it's a business at the end of the day. But in this moment, with this point that they are at in the season, They all seem to be pulling in the same direction, and I don't think that is at the forefront of anybody's mind right now. Let's keep going here. All right, I think we're going to have time for one more because I actually just got an alert about something and got to go in a minute. But let's look at this question from Jason Moria. I hope I'm saying that right, Jason. I'm sorry. He's also at skills Too wicked 
Jason wrote, do you think Brennan Othman will make the team next season or will he go back to the AHL or play in Europe if that's a possibility? Making the team, I think, is a stretch and I'd have to double check this. This is off the top of my head, so I really hope I'm not wrong. I probably shouldn't even be saying this in the podcast without double checking, but I'm pretty sure Othman is not or won't be quite eligible for the AHL next season. So it does put the Rangers in a little bit of a tough spot because I think ideally you'd want him to play for Hartford and take the next step because he's been such a dominating force in the OHL this year that you kind of wonder if it serves much of a purpose to send him back there. But I also don't think from, from people that I've talked to that there's a belief that he's definitely ready for the NHL. Scoring a lot of goals in juniors is great. Don't get me wrong. It's been a tremendous season for him. And I do think he's opened a lot of eyes. And I think if you were redrafting last year's draft today, he might or probably would go a little bit higher. Obviously, the Rangers are very excited about his potential. We've had people on the show that have talked about him before. You know that they feel that he brings more than just scoring. They love the edge that he plays with and the fire that he plays with. And they feel that he can play up and down the lineup potentially. So there's a lot to like there. But I've also talked to people who feel that there's still aspects of his game that need to be rounded out. People wonder about physically how developed is he at this point? Does he need to add strength? Does he need to improve as a skater? Certainly, I think a lot of people feel like he needs to round out his game in the defensive zone. So I don't know if he's going to be a guy who I'm looking at going into training camp as likely to make the team. I certainly think he'll be invited to camp and will have a chance to make the team. I'd say the same thing about Will Cooley, who's a prospect that I think the Rangers are high on, and he's a year older than Othman. So there might almost in some ways be a better chance for Cooley to make the team out of camp next year. I don't know if that's definite, but it's definitely something that I would look at as a possibility. So I I would maybe pump the brakes a little bit and not get too far ahead of ourselves with Othman. Could he surprise us and make the team next year? Sure, I'm not ruling it out, but is there a chance that they give him a little more time to, to round out his game and a little more seasoning time? Yeah. And you also have the option if, let's say, he ends up in the OHL to start the season, if he's tearing it up or an injury happens or whatever, you could always recall him at any point and, and try him out at some date later on in the season. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode. A little bit shorter than usual, but I think we hit on a lot of different stuff, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. As I mentioned, I will be back next week with a more in-depth episode, I think it's fair to say. We won't, or we probably won't, eh, maybe we will, I don't know. I I don't think we're going to know exactly who the Rangers are playing in the playoffs at that point, so I don't know how much diving will go into as far as specific matchup details and all that kind of stuff. The plan is for next week's episode to come out on Thursday morning. So normal schedule for next week, but we're definitely going to dive into some specific things with the Rangers. We're going to have, I think somebody that a lot of you will recognize on the show who will help us break it all down. By that point, there will be Only one game left in the regular season. So actually, I take it back. Maybe we will know who they're playing. 
it's very much up in the air right now. I think the main thing that I'm keeping my eye on, aside from the obvious of will the Rangers finish in, finish in first, is if they finish in second, that race between the Capitals and the Penguins for third place in the Metro Division is really, really tight right now. The Caps have pretty much completely closed that gap. So that is certainly something that I think all of us will be keeping an eye on in the next week or so. But Bottom line is the playoffs are almost here. One more episode before the playoffs and then two episodes from now we'll be into the playoffs and all the excitement and the hoopla and everything that comes with it will be here. And that I am very much looking forward to covering the playoffs or the real playoffs, I should say, not the bubble from my living room couch over Zoom. The real playoffs, being in the building, feeling your energy, feeling the intensity I'm very much looking forward to it. I hope you guys are too. We're close, not quite there yet, but getting closer by the day. So definitely something to look forward to. But for now, let's look forward to a nice night, some rest, some good food. As always, you guys you guys know how much I look forward to a nice meal after I'm done recording this podcast. And then we will be back next week to do some more Rangers talk. So have a great week, everybody.